I'm Tony Tardio. Hello and welcome to Darren Hinch's That's Life podcast, a podcast where we talk about the big stories of the past, the big stories of today, through the prism of Hinch's six decades in the media. In this episode, government and COVID-19. Donald Trump was tossed out because of his handling of the COVID crisis. What will be Scott Morrison's fate? Has his tough stand on flights from India helped or hindered him? Aaron Hinch, welcome to That's Life. Hi, Squire. Hey, we're doing very well in South Korea, apparently. South Korea. Actually, I've seen a map of uh, where they were listening to us. This is what's amazing about podcasts. Mm. We can record this anywhere. At the moment, we are in your apartment, Mm. at your desk, you know, in Melbourne, and there's someone listening, as you say, in South Korea. But and hungry, we're hungry. <laughs> Hong Kong, uh, I think Kuala Lumpur, and, and uh, Dubai. Uh, yeah, well. there was a, some a, a big red sort of thing in London. So oh. they're listening to us in London. Uh, so wherever you're listening to us from right now, we we send you a very big hello from. We do indeed. We uh, do indeed. Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, and, and this is about, and we've we've done more than forty podcasts now, Tony. Yeah, so Believe that right. means what's that? That's about twenty hours. Twenty hours of talk. So you can spend a whole day just <laughs> listening to us <laughs> if you're that silly. There we go. <laughs> Right. Now, now, uh, now I've got a, I've got a, a good bitch this week. You uh, want to have a go at something? Yeah. I want to have a go. Yep. And I want to have a go. It involves COVID nineteen. Yep. Um, I have my criticisms of the of the Morrison government and of the Andrews state government at times, and I think, especially over the vaccine rollout, was 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 buggered up. But I think they're getting things right. And what annoys me is when they're being attacked for things I don't think they're doing wrong. Now, the India. Boycott, you know, the India shutdown. We locked down no flights in or out of India. I got really annoyed about a couple of things. One, that people say it's racist. Now, there were people of all creeds and colours trapped in India. Uh, it was nothing to do with whether you're Indian or whether you're, you're coloured, whatever colour. Um, and then the second one, you've got cricketers who've gone over there to make money saying that um, the Prime Minister has blood on his hands because he isn't bringing people home fast enough. You have other people saying that it's... Now, this is a huge criticism recently. How dare the Australian government not bring home people who tested positive to COVID-19? Now, what the hell do you do? I mean, if I was a... You're on a flight coming home, and you're the crew, or you're a negative passenger, do you want to spend 12 hours on a plane breathing the same air as somebody who's COVID positive, I mean, it could be fatal. And I mean, I made the point on Sunrise recently, if I was COVID positive, I couldn't take a taxi from my apartment to Channel 7. And, and that's the way it should be if, you, if you're testing positive. So I think the government's been getting a bit of a bum rap on this because we have controlled it more than most countries and it's awful what's happening in India. And I'm, I don't know if this is true or not, but according to the PM recently, we'd already brought 20,000 people home from India. So, Well, let me put a few things to you. Yep. Uh, the cricketer that's been the most outspoken is Michael Slater. Yes. Now, he, he went over there. What he, he, He's... What he's saying in his tweets that I saw, he was given permission to go over there by the Australian government. Now, that's his job. He says, you know, this is what I do to put food on the table for my children and send them to private school. Yep. Now, in the old days, if you were an Australian citizen and you were in trouble over there, 
I, I think your family would expect the government to move heaven and earth to do whatever they could to bring you back over yep, or to point. assist you in some way because you are an Australian citizen. And, and you read the fine print in your passport, it says that, that you're entitled to, to come home. You know? Yeah. So the rules have been changed upside down and all over the place with, uh, with COVID. So do you think Michael Slater has any sort of argument? No, not when he says the Prime Minister got blood on his hands. I don't, I don't agree with that. I think it's The other thing he said brutal. was the Prime Minister should use his private plane to fly over there and see what's going on. But it's not his private plane, it's the Prime Minister's plane, you know, and it's paid for by the taxpayers. One thing I think that where Morrison was bad, and that was on, I think it was on Neil Mitchell's program, when Mitchell questioned him about the idea of, you know, putting people behind bars or fining them 60, whatever, $66,000, $65,000. And the PM was a bit loose with the truth when he said, well, we didn't make a big deal of that, the jailing, the media did. Now, that is bullshit. I mean, if you looked at um, Hunt, the Health Minister Hunt's press release, the fourth paragraph said, if you breach these new rules and try to come home through a back door, as several cricketers did, you will face fines of something like $65,000 and or up to five years jail. That was in his press release. So you can't suddenly say the media's made a big deal about something that, the, that Minister Hunt has t- talked about and put in his press release, which reminds me, I'm not going to go into it, but just give it some thought. Do you know, this is a good trivial pursuit question, do you know the health minister's nickname in Canberra? Uh, no. Good. No, I know his dad. I remember his dad. His dad was in the Victorian Parliament, mm. Alan Hunt, but I know nothing about right. his nickname. What's, what's his right. name? His nickname is Yorick. Yorick. Give it some thought. <laughs> I'm not going to explain. <laughs> And a female member of the Labor Party who didn't know, hadn't made the connection, yelled it out across when I was in when I was in Parliament. She yelled out across the floor, "Hey, Yorick! Hey, Yorick!" Until somebody explained to her what it actually meant, and she was mortified. I think it was Jenny Macklin. She was mortified that she'd actually done this. Well, look, it's not an easy job. That's the thing, is it? Uh, you're balancing all of these things, you know. But poor old Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, and I mean, I don't really mean poor old because he gets paid to do what he and, and he wants to do it. And uh, there's nothing poor about being a Prime Minister. But you've got to make some hard decisions, and you, you, you really do need to protect Australia. And, and I but tell you what, it is. I'm not saying he's doing this for this reason. It is electorally good for a leader, state or federal to be tough on borders and tough on on, on uh, COVID-19. And I'll give you some good examples. This is what I want to talk about in more depth today. I came up with the term the COVID elections, and they are, because if you're a tough leader, you've got to get re-elected. You've seen it happen. You saw it happen in New Zealand. You saw it happened over there. That, uh, um, the, they re-elected a, a leader. In, in a better better conditions than the last time, uh, you saw it in um, in Queensland with Palaszczuk, uh, and, it, and, and, and a sitting premier got re-elected. You saw it overwhelmingly in WA, where McGovern just walked the fl- wiped the floor with with the libs. So they, 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 Liberals they used to, don't virtually don't exist. They used to, well, they used to say when 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 Labor got wiped. Once and they called them the Tarago Party in Queensland. So they had seven members. They could fit in a Tarago. Well, out in WA, you can call it the Scooter Party or the Vespa because they could put them on a, on a two seater. And then you saw in Tasmania, 
where the, the government was re-elected, also tough on COVID. And the one time you saw the COVID work in reverse was Donald Trump. I believe if it wasn't for his mishandling, his gross exaggerations and lies about COVID, I think Trump would probably have been re-elected. I, I agree with you. In, in Tasmania, though, there was a swing against uh, the Liberals. Yeah. There. Peter, Peter Gutwin, the, the Premier, uh, there was a swing of 1.5% against them. But there was also a swing against Labor there, 4.4%. Mm. But such a small population, though. Like, there's only 390. 400,000 400, people. That's why, look, we had to do it for Federation, but it always make me shake my head that Victoria with 6,300,000 people has 12 senators. Tasmania with 400,000 people has 12 senators. Now, I remember a guy, he was an American, I can't remember his name now, but he went and lived in Tasmania because he wanted to become a senator. And he got there, I think, with the Australian Democrats or some party like that. Well, yeah, so if there's a population, of, a voting population of 400, because not everybody votes either. There's, no. uh, there's a percentage of people that don't. So 350,000, let's say, is the total pool of voters in Tasmania. Well, be less than that. Probably, if you think of all the kids under 18, if the total population is 400,000, probably 200,000, 250,000 people elected 12 senators. Yeah, so that's 25,000 people... <laughs> will get you a Senate seat yeah. if you get a bit, probably, look, look, probably look, even look, less. Look how Brian Harradine controlled, when, when, when the balance of power's in there too, yeah. suddenly a Tasmanian senator like Harradine wreaks havoc. Yeah. Well, it does put a lot of power in the hands of very few people in the, in the little tiny state in the, in the, at the bottom of, uh, of, of Australia. Well, I, a bit of, bit of political gossip. I remember that uh, a, current, a current Victorian Upper House member her husband was urged to move to Tasmania for a while because he'd get a seat. Right. And he didn't go and he didn't get it. And then she got in here. Well, as I said, you could easily, uh, your party and yourself, mm. could easily get a couple of Senate seats. We, in we could, but I, I tell you, I, I wouldn't do it. I mean, there's no way known. I mean, it's I, a beautiful place to live. It is though, a beautiful place. It's, it's, it'd be like going back to New Zealand, that, uh, very similar Tasmania and New Zealand, climate wise, the wine, the cheese, everything. But. No, this is my home, and I um, I wouldn't do it. I mean, uh, we, we, that really would be carpet bagging. Yes, to use well, the American expression. Well, yes, but you know, you still have to get the votes. Yes, and, and you're still using or using. You're still working within the system. Oh, to, yes, you to, are. To, to and, uh, it's not like you, you know, you you're making out there that you 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 you. you, you Voting, getting fake votes or something. No, it, it, it's a great, it's a great state. Like Jackie Lambie found. I mean, she lost over Section Forty Four and had to step down, but then she came back and she roared back in there. And it's next election, which I now increasingly think will be held in. Uh, I haven't got the. I don't know school holidays and things, so I, I've got to be a bit vague. Um, probably February, March, or April of next year. I think Scomo would have possibly gone in October this year, but the two issues that really started to wreck him were um, women's issues and and the, the rollout of the vaccine, and he got hurt. But I think as the vaccine now is being rolled out faster and faster, here in Victoria with GPs, etc., I think by the time the election comes around, um, he'll be back in fairly strong position. It's now over 50s that are being uh, vaccinated. I haven't been vaccinated yet, but I will be. I was going to do it this, uh, this weekend. Um, there have been five cases, well... Blood uh, clots. Well, up until we're recording this uh, podcast, five blood clots. New cases, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think it makes it a total of 11 with one dead 
around the country. Yeah, so there's still very low number. I mean, you know, the percentage of people that are getting the vaccine to those people that are being uh, having these problems. Because there are other problems, not just blood Tony, clots. Tony, your chance of getting a blood clot about the same as a plane hitting this apartment Minimal, today. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's negligible. And when you think of the women, thousands thousands of women who took and still take birth control pills, which have a higher risk by far of giving you a blood clot. I mean, mm. I saw a very telling cartoon the other day of a young woman sitting in a doctor's surgery, and the doctor's explaining to her the risks of blood clots. She said, oh, I don't have the vaccine then, just give me the, just give me the pill. <laughs> <laughs> and also, when I mean, you don't... I'm, I'm, I'm going very soon, the next few days, to have a uh, my flu shot. You have to... I've had the first um, vaccine, Astra whatever, um, but you've got to wait a couple of weeks before you have the flu shot, then you wait another couple of weeks, and then I'll have my booster of the, the AZ, um, AstraZeneca. But I, um, you know, I, I don't, when I have a flu shot, I don't ask them what's in it. You trust that the TGA down the track has, uh, has approved it and it must be safe. Yeah, I, I think the problem with the vaccine for COVID is, is people think it's been developed so quickly. They, they, they've got this thing in their head that maybe they're cutting corners because they've just got to deal with this problem. Whereas with the flu vaccine, mm. people have been taking the flu vaccine for 20 years. Well, that, that, um, that's, that's, and it's, it's a fairly valid point, but... Urgent times call for urgent measures. I mean, I'm glad that they moved it in fast and I'm glad that I've had the vaccine. Now, you had the first one, your first shot, some time ago. Yeah. Uh, you had no problems immediately after that. Anything lingering? The only side effects I ever had, I didn't have a headache, I didn't feel tired, I didn't have a sore arm, I felt nothing. I didn't even know they'd jab me at first. Um the only bad side effects I had was from on Twitter and Facebook. I got so much <laughs> shit put on me. I had people saying, "How much do the drug companies pay you to have it?" And you know, and somebody said, "And why do you take your shirt off?" I said, "Well, <laughs> oh, well, the good thing is, Darren, you didn't have a, a tattoo on your arm or anything no. like that." Like, no, I got none of those things. No. I, I thought I was being quite demure. I sort of pulled one side of the shirt down. I didn't didn't do a, an Alexander. Sorry, I didn't do a, a Vladimir Putin and uh, etc. Well, Brett Sutton sort of took his uh, he put roll. I don't think he took his shirt off, <laughs> but he rolled his arm up, and the women went crazy over his tattoo. Yeah, his tattoo. Yeah. He's right yeah. up. This is getting off the subject, but I I really have a prejudice against tattoos. I don't know why so many young people, especially young women, have so many of them. You think, when you get older, what's it going to look like? You know, And the footballers who have the, what you call a sleeve, yes. the, the whole arm is just done. Think, yes. Why? It doesn't appeal to me either. My dad used to always say, yeah, you got tattoos if you went to jail. That was his... In, inmates, inmates and sailors were the only people you knew in my life who had tattoos. And the old thing about the love-hate tattoos across your knuckles. Oh, well, anything on their hands that you can see underneath, you know, like shirts and stuff, I, I don't I remember being in church and uh, I was walking down the aisle in the days when I used to take communion. I don't take communion anymore because I'm not religious at all. But I remember being behind this lady and uh, her, she had a strapless sort of dress on. And in front of me, no more than maybe 30 centimetres away, was this huge tattoo of this face of this man. 
And I talked to her later and she said, oh, that's my dad. I had a, fat, a tattoo of my dad on, on her. I think it was her husband who left her or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well yeah. remember Tatiana Grigorieva, yeah. the, the, the pole vaulter whom I used to manage. I had a company that managed her at the you Sydney. She tattoos, do you? I remember the, having longest, the, the longest, shiniest legs you yes, could see. And, and, and Tatiana Grigorieva had this huge rose tattooed all over her tummy, her stomach. It was massive. I mean, it was about a foot long, you know. At least you don't see that, though. Like, she's wearing clothes you don't actually... Well, you saw it when she, when she was competing, you know. <laughs> I had to laugh. We, um, we had dinner after the, after the games and after she, she, she won a silver medal, lost the gold by a quiver. Mm. When the American went over with the jump that beat her, the, the, the pole, the, 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 the bar waggled and wiggled She's and wiggled quivered, and quivered. then settled down and so she came second. But we're having dinner uh, with her and her husband, Victor, uh, at the uh, down at Crown discussing our, their future and our future. And uh, I had said before the games, I'd predicted in typical Hinch manner, I said that uh, not only will Tatiana Grigorieva win a medal at the games, she will be the sex symbol of the 2000 Olympics. And she was. And uh, when we're having this dinner to celebrate everything and work out for the future, she said, well, one thing, and that action of hers, one thing, Darren, she said, um, uh, in future, you, you must not talk about me being sexy. You, know, you can't talk about my, and pointed to a bum, okay? Because I said she had the sexiest bum in the world. Anyway, I said, okay, okay, Tatiana, I won't, I won't talk about, I won't talk about it. I'll just talk about your eyes. Right? And she said, my ass, my ass. There you go again, my ass. Now, we're off topic here, but Sorry. I'm interested to know, uh, how did the connection with Tatiana and her husband, Victor, with you uh, begin? Well, I, I, I um, I'd work, was work, I'd been working in Adelaide earlier and a guy I was working with uh, and, and another guy from Melbourne, he he'd... The guy in Adelaide, I won't mention his name because they dutted me for about 180 grand. Um, but I, I, uh, he had some sporting connections and sort of loosely, unofficially managed people in, in, in South Australia. You were doing radio. I was doing radio at, yeah, at, at 5DN. Anyway, um, this guy in Melbourne and I, we thought, well, we could start a, uh, a sports management company. And we started a thing called I Am which stood for International Australian Management and had a star, which I still remember and I'm driving, I just saw it again today, Coles at the, at the uh, service stations have that sort of star with a, the top separated mm. and that was our symbol. It's very similar. And it's called I Am and it was International Australian Management but also I mean I Am, like to them, I Am a Star, I Am a, I am a Star. Um, but it just then we, 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 had, we had a bit of a falling out and the whole thing fell over. And then Victor... But you uh, met... Uh, them, yes, through them, yeah, through yeah. them, right, yeah, and, and then and, and she hadn't yet been an, an, a, a silver medalist yet. No, 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 she, no, she this hadn't. Was even, way this, this was way before um, the, the the Olympics, and uh, and then I put in a submission to get Victory's um, his naturalisation papers to be an Australian. But here, I don't know this for sure, but here, years later, he uh, he went back and competed for Russia again. Right. So. He uh, he was overshadowed by her. He was, yeah. yeah. He was a very good pole vaulter. He right? was a pole vaulter. And, and, and they both right. had a, a famous um, pole vaulting coach who was based in Perth at the time, you know. So, and they were very, it's a t Jesus, a terrible sport. Um, I have actually, if you ever held a pole vaulter's pole, it's so heavy and it's so far out in front of you, you think, yeah. how on earth are you going to lock that into the slot? 
throw yourself skyward and then get, get above a bar. It's a, it's a very gruelling sport. And then you've got to come down. Then you've got to come down, yeah. There's a big drop the other side. And, and you're doing it with enormous prayer. I mean, a lot of these things you can do reasonably well when no one's watching or when there's no pressure. But when you've got to do it and you know there's a, a gold medal or a silver medal at stake, yeah. it's, uh, it's not that easy. And you know, the, this, you know, the jump you're going to make next, your last one, is your last one. Maybe the last one of your career, maybe the last one of your life, and you've got to get it right. What yeah. is she doing? Is she still in Australia? Right? Uh, yeah, as yeah. last I heard, that Tatiana, uh, I last heard, she um, was running a milk bar or a coffee shop on the Gold Coast. Is that right? And she's, I, think, I think she and Victor split and he went back to Russia and she's up there. Well, uh, she's a lovely, she's a lovely lady. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, one day she, I shouldn't tell you this, but it is a podcast. One day, um, she did a whole series of photographs uh, for some classy camera magazine, right? And she's naked on a trampoline doing these photographs. <laughs> of course, Why of not? course, as one does. And one day, Victor starts showing me these pictures of his wife doing somersaults naked on a trampoline. And I said, Victor, hey, stop it, stop it. He's like, you don't like, you don't like my wife? There's something wrong with my wife? And I was like, no, you just, you just don't flash pictures of your naked wife around, around with people. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, they were talking about Russians, but uh, uh, there was a young Russian girl who uh, jumped off a ship somewhere. Ah, uh, uh, yes, yes. Off Sydney. The, the girl oh, in the red bikini. Yes. Well, I'm just remembering the front page of the, uh, the old Sun newspaper. It would have been about 1980. And she had the most gorgeous body with a red bikini. Gascon Scoyer or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Was, I, I, was, yeah, was you're it. testing me. I'll, I'll get it, but I haven't got it right now. Yes, the girl in the red bikini, and she, uh, yeah, she climbed out the porthole or something, didn't she? And, and, and there's a great story there. Australia and Russians. We've had a bit. Uh, well, no, think, not, think of Petrov. Well, 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 yeah. A lot of people listening would not be aware of that because that happened in 1954. But that was huge. Well, news. because they were trying the, the to people, uh, Vladimir Petrov was a Russian attaché here, and uh, he was being recalled to um, to Russia because they thought he was he'd ch- changed sides, which he had. Um, and they they couldn't get him because he he, he ended up in a nurse, he died in a nursing home in Melbourne he, they couldn't get him but they grabbed his wife right um, evoke I can't remember now uh, evoke Petra, anyway they grabbed his wife and there's a fantastic photo of her being dragged onto a plane by two Russian agents. Um, Jackie Weaver used to do a great impression of her losing her shoes, being dragged across the tarmac, <laughs> as she did. Um, but by the time the plane got to Darwin on its way back to the Soviet Union, uh, to Russia, um, our, our feds stepped in and, uh, and, and she was it. and stopped it. Well, that would have been Essendon Airport because in those days uh, you had to go upstairs that were visible to the outside. Ah, so, okay. so the great photograph is of the, these Russian agents dragging... Two big burly agents. They looked like agents from Central Casting, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> Russians had a particular look back then, didn't they? They were the bad guys and they looked like bad uh, guys yeah. uh, too. Yeah, I remember once... Um, we'll get back to it, but I remember once writing, I was writing a column for... Um, uh, when I was living in, when I was in Canberra, and uh, I mentioned I'd, I'd, I'd met the uh, I was at a function I met the Governor General Sir Peter Cosgrove, who's a lovely man, but I did write in my column that he looked like he was dressed by Nikita Khrushchev's tailor because <laughs> he he was wearing one of those baggy sort of Russian suits that don't really fit. <laughs> 
that that one. Uh, that Petrov story was amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, no. I, I, it won uh, Robert Menzies quite a few elections. I see because mm. it was all happening in the atmosphere of the McCarthy stuff. That that's right. Going on in communism the and States. the evils of communism. That's right. And then yeah. Vietnam, and then you know the reason we had, we got involved in the Vietnam War was that we were trying to stop this domino effect of these Russian, this, this communism sort yeah, of Chinese story. and Russian communism taking over the world. Yeah. Uh, and the world was worried about that. Uh, mm. I, I remember in Italy too. Uh, because they, they, you know it, it, there was a, a, a fear that Italy might uh, somehow turn communism as, as well, <laughs> and the prime minister, a guy called Aldo Moro, uh, he was going to do a deal with uh, the the communist wing of uh, wow. of a party, and uh, I don't know if you remember, but uh, Red Brigade uh, soldiers they called themselves stopped his car in the middle of Rome, kidnapped him. They held him for 40 days. He was writing letters to the media, uh, the Prime Minister. <laughs> like Ned Kelly. Morrow. Yeah, and uh, eventually they didn't compromise with the Red Brigade and he, 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 they shot him. They left him in the back of this little Fiat Uno car in the middle of Rome and uh, people found him and it was huge at that time. I didn't know they shot him. Aldo Morrow was... No, I remember who was. I didn't know he, he was assassinated, executed. Yeah, uh, and that was all... Sort of, you know, the, mm. the, the understory to that was that uh, Julian uh, Andriotti, Julio Andriotti, uh, 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 Aldo Moro was going to do a deal with communists. That wasn't uh, something that the Americans wanted uh, to see happen, and so he had to be removed as prime God. minister, and all this sort of stuff happened. So, um, yeah. it's the intrigue, Darren, that happens that people don't know about. That's yeah. fascinating. And, and you forget about, you know, I mean, you mentioned stories. I mean, even now, you mentioned Port Arthur. And some Australians don't know what John Howard did in bringing in the new gun laws and things like that because, yeah. you know, life and time moves on. We're, 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 uh, I'm a big person for transparency because I think, you know, we pay people, politicians. I know, I we, see you on Twitter we, doing we, this all we, the time. We, we, sh- we should know about these. Of course things. you should. Uh, but I, I'm not sure we, we know because... We're both journalists. We know what's happened to the media industry. You know, we're, we're, we're the investigative journalists nowadays. Well, yeah, but the, the thing is that it's, um, it's stifling um, transparency, and this government is, is, is federal government's to blame as well, is that um, the way they crack down on whistleblowers. If you don't have whistleblowers, you don't get transparency because governments aren't going to give it to you. I think we talked when we did this, the, the, the program on Andrew Peacock. He told a journalist friend of mine a great bit of advice. He said... Don't always take, listen to what the politicians are telling you. Think what they're not telling you. And it's very good advice if you're a journo these days. If you, if you read a press release and see what's not in it. Well, I mentioned that too because here in Victoria in recent weeks we've had all this stuff coming out about the, uh, the, the problem still Hot- going Hotel quarantine. With yeah. hotel quarantine. Now, this is a year and a bit beyond on from where all this started. They now, still now, don't people, have it right. People in authority knew, I mean, they've, they've sacked one guy, at least one, maybe more. Um, people in authority knew what had gone wrong. Why wouldn't they confide in us? They're locking us up for months at a time. Why wouldn't they confide in the people? Because people actually do, um, I think they, you, you underestimate people's intelligence, I think, by not telling them stuff. I, I agree. And if you don't tell them stuff and you do that over a long period of time, people really get... Uh, lose, lose all trust in your politicians. That's well, true. Well, I mean, well, yeah. You know, you've heard me say this before. 
Watergate was a crime when they broke into the Watergate Hotel and ransacked the Democrats' headquarters. But it wasn't the biggest crime. The biggest crime over Watergate was the cover-up. And it's usually the way. If you if you stop covering up and try and level with people and say, I mean, if with hotel quarantine, instead of spending all those millions of dollars on an inquiry, they'd said, we stuffed up. The government stuffed up and we're going to fix it. And we are fixing it. Uh, and to, keep, to hear Prime Minister um, Morrison keep saying, and it's worked 99.99%, which I'm not quite sure where he got that one from, but it, it, it has worked pretty well because my argument always was knocking hotel quarantine and saying, must do this and must do that. I said, what's the alternative? Because putting people in, Alice, you know, in the outback is not going to work because you've got to have staff to staff to monitor it and to staff them. Well, you need hospitals it. as well. Hmm? You need hospitals as well. You need hospitals, yeah. Because these people are coming, yeah, yeah. You know, some of them so, will so, have yeah, COVID. I mean, they say, let's put them all on Christmas Island. Well, I mean, Christmas Island, I think, has, has a reasonable medical... I don't know if they're still there, but it doesn't work that way. I mean, that's why I thought the Avalon one with the, the, the Lindsay Fox one I mentioned before is not a bad idea because it's it's close to a hospital. I mean, it's close enough to Geelong and close enough to Melbourne if, if somebody needs urgent care. Victoria in particular, and I know you went on about this uh, at length when you were on radio, particularly on 3AW, <coughs> about um, suppression orders. So, so mm. it's not just politicians that are keeping a lid on things. It's also the court system. Oh, that's been terrible. And, and Victoria, more than any other yep. state, really. When I was on television umpteen years ago, I referred to um, Adelaide as Suppression City. I now, if I was back on radio now, I'd be referring to Melbourne as Suppression City. We suppress people's names. I mean, you must suppress the names of a, of a rape victim, I grant that. Uh, but at least now, a rape victim is allowed to name herself in several states, which wasn't allowed in Tasmania until last year. Until our, well, well though, even in Victoria, they were going yeah. to try to stop that. Yeah, I know. It was our Australian of the Year uh, made her name by fighting and fighting in court. In New Zealand, I know I was over there uh, doing a speech on this, that two young women, sisters, had to go to court and spend a fortune to, to be able to name themselves as victims. Which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, if, it, you, if you've got the guts to come out and say, that man who's in court today named Fred Nurg, he raped me and put your hand up, you should be allowed to do it. Well... That what that does is just keep those sort of issues, which had been under the carpet for years, mm. structurally under the carpet, because mm. you're not a, you're not going to hear from a victim. To well, I, I'm not going to go into details, but ne this coming federal election and the next state election, I've been working for some months now on a on a plan about uh, ways we can ways we can fix weak judgments and weak judges. Because at the moment it's wrong. I mean, we we our, our, not only Victoria, we are not putting victims first. Now, and too many people believe, and I do it's to some extent, that courts spend too much time worrying about the offender, and not about the one who was offended against. And I think that's an issue that's just it's not going away, and it's growing. Well, when I was a kid, uh, you didn't hear from victims no. unless they gave evidence in court. But uh, there were no such things as victim impact statements. No. So you didn't really have a right to explain how this crime has affected you. And, and some, sometimes the person never got a chance, even in court, to, to let a judge know what had happened. It, it, it was such a, sometimes so complicit and so compliant that, that this was wrong. I mean, there's still cases where, where um, the DPP negotiates 
with the offender to plea bargain his case down and the victim is not told about it. They think, I'm making this up, okay, but a person who's going to trial, you think, for murdering your mother or your sister, by the time he gets to court, he's up on a voluntary, involuntary manslaughter charge, which the victim's family was unaware of. And sometimes the, the, the prosecutors say, oh, we did this because we didn't think we could, we could really get to go the whole way. And sometimes that is true. Some of the evidence, I think, is but too I weak. I would have thought you, you, you talk to the victim mm. and you say, this is the path we're thinking of going down. Is this something that you agree well, that, with? Well, that doesn't happen. And sometimes, but not often. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's uh, well. There's a lot of crazy things in the world, uh, <laughs> Darren, and the legal system, I guess, is uh, one of them. Just quickly, I've been watching very closely what's happening with the ABC and uh, Christian Porter and the legal action mm. that's uh, going on to and throw and uh, all that sort of stuff. That's going to be interesting. It is indeed, and I, 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 the timing of it because we're on a podcast. I don't know; it won't come up yet. But him, tr- him trying to uh, suppress the ABC's defence, I think, as a former Attorney General, is a bit rich, right? But let's finish on one quick ABC story. Mm. It backfired on me. Uh, the Australian ran this, I haven't seen it, but they ran it in the newspaper saying that Darren Hinch has put his, put his hand up to be a director of, be on the board of the ABC. Right. Well, News to me. Well, well, I did put a tweet out the other night, one day, when there was a discussion going on, who is Ida Buttrose going, and who are they going to get as directors, who's going to be on the board, etc., etc. And as a joke, I put out three words. I said, Ita, hire me. And it suddenly appears in the paper. I shouldn't have done it, but the thing was, there's no way knowing that as leader of a political party and a, a former senator and about to become a Senate candidate again, there's no way knowing I could even go near the ABC. I would shake it up. I could have a bit of well, fun. Well, there's another podcast there because I'd be interested to know how you would shake it up. I, I, I actually think, and I've come to this conclusion uh, over the last couple of years, the ABC is way left of centre. It doesn't. Yes. It doesn't reflect yeah. the totality of Australia. That, that, that is true. But I, I'm I'm a bit shackled here because I don't watch or listen to the ABC. Um, I'll give you my two two ex- exceptions. I um, I watch Insiders every Sunday, and I think that's about it. I, I, I don't watch the ABC News. I watch 6 o'clock commercial news. I watch Sky News. I don't watch Sky After Dark. I, once the daytime news is gone, I can't stand Sky, which gossip is, and this would be a dangerous thing, I think, because of some... I won't go into the details. When Rupert sold Sky to somebody else, then Sky Australia managed to keep the name Sky News for like five years. That runs out in about July. <laughs> so what I are they going to be now? They'll become Fox News. Ah, I've heard that too. They'll become Fox News, which I don't think will help them because Fox News has a taint. I mean, we know Sky is right wing and after dark, most of the, the economists and hosts are, are right wing, but Fox is even more so. And I, so I'm not sure it's a good idea. I mean, Sky, in Sky during the day, people like Laura Jays and Tom Connell, they are good, um, they are good presenters. Just quickly, because we are running out of time, but on the, on the ABC, I'm with you. I don't watch as much ABC as I used to. I mean, I remember programs like Monday Conference, mm. uh, This Day Tonight, even Four Corners, I think, has gone off the boil a, a little bit. I, I, I'll interrupt. I occasionally will see a Four Corners, and I think, oh, that's interesting, So, but it may only be once every two, three months. But right? they used to do late line. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, Q&A, I think uh, I, I read figures where uh, the number of people watching Q&A now is 
is at the lowest as possibly yeah. it's been. Well, they moved from Monday to Thursday, didn't they? I think. Yeah. So, so I don't think the ABC in that news and current affairs area is where it used to be, mm. and uh, you know they might claim it's because of government funding. I don't believe that. Now, the the, the government funding thing, and Labor does this with hospitals as well, saying government slashes the ABC's money. They haven't. They just haven't increased it as much as they were asked for. Yeah. That to me, that is not a cut. No. And you and I both know, well, I know, that the ABC uh, has enormous fat in, a, in, a, in, a, in many, many areas. In Radio News, for example, if something was to happen in Melbourne, it would go from the reporter to me to on air. At the ABC, there are many different paths mm. that go through before it gets yeah, to the Yeah, on so air. It's, 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 got, it's got bureaucracy... Ad infinitum, yeah. that's that's the problem for it. I remember when Paul Barber, the late Paul Barber, my producer and over the years, used to work for the ABC and he'd say how frustrating it was because suddenly a story might break. They, the ABC was down on the Trobe Street, I think, or Lonsdale. Mm. They had there. these little buildings, yeah, I yeah, think, near the courts over. there. And uh, two things he told me. One, he said that he'd have to... It, it, something had happened outside the office... He'd have to sign a, a form to get a camera crew before he could <laughs> grab a cameraman and say, "Hey, it's happening out, out outside our door." And so they had to go through the government forms, as they used to say. Yeah. The second one he told me was at that place down on the Trobe Street. There's a bunch of old buildings. They're about to move out, I think, to Nana Wadding, and they, they said, "We're coming in next week to paint your office." And he said, "But aren't we moving in three months?" And they said. Well, it doesn't matter because if we don't use the paint budget, <laughs> we won't get it next year. So they're going to paint a building they're going to tear down because they didn't want to lose the the, 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 the money. Darren Hinch, I, sh <laughs> I shake my head. I shake my head. Talk to you soon. We've run way over time. Okay. We'll be back uh, next week.